Welcome to the stream, a bi-weekly podcast from myself, Chelsea Frisbee, and my co-host, Anna Janiszewski. We stream our thoughts on mindfulness, mental health, self-care, spirituality, and all the ways we move through life. In this episode, we're exploring the topic of radical acceptance, pulling resources from Buddhist author Tara Brock, among other places, and really looking at the paradox of acceptance. I share a little bit about how I learned a lot about this topic through my going through my mother's illness and death from pancreatic cancer a few years ago and how much that was a teacher for me in radical acceptance. Acceptance, and we tend to like to begin with a definition of what we're going to be talking about. So we chose the term radical acceptance because it's become a bit more familiar and popularized these days, especially in the mindfulness realms and in Buddhist practice and philosophy, and also in the context of dialectical behavior therapy or DBT, which I think is where the term was kind of coined, not necessarily invented, but put into use in the therapeutic realm. In either case, the goal of radical acceptance um, is the same radical simply meaning fundamental and far-reaching. It takes the phenomenon of acceptance and makes it into a technique or a daily practice or even uh, a worldview or way of life. And then acceptance, of course, that piece of it simply means seeing and acknowledging the reality of a given situation, whether that's thinking about the past or present events, uh, acknowledging the reality of what is or what was, and any difficult emotions or anything else that our minds might be struggling against to some degree. Yeah, and acceptance is really, uh, for me, it's about allowing everything in, um, kind of like in the Rumi poem that we shared last last week, uh, the guest house, allowing and even welcoming the challenging in with uh, maybe what's easier or welcoming the unpleasant with the same sort of open arms as you would the pleasant. Um, It's really an awareness of the facts of reality, trying to strip away any denial, delusion, or like other layers that, that we kind of can sometimes pile onto reality Uh, that prevent us from seeing it fully. And so really it's, for me, it's about finding that starting point of awareness. Like you have to be willing to, to see those layers and, and be able to, to kind of have your own filter to be able to look at what actually is, um, how things really are. I have a sticky note that's been living on my nightstand for the at least the last year. I think it maybe has, has been two or three years. And it it's just has two words on it. It's what is question mark. And it's a reminder, a daily reminder for me um, to really notice what those those facts of reality around me are. Um, I also wanted to read a little bit about radical acceptance uh, from a a Buddhist teacher and author named Tara Brock from her book, Radical Acceptance, Embracing Your Life with the Heart of a Buddha. So she says, radical acceptance reverses our habit of living at war with experiences that are unfamiliar, frightening, or intense. 
It is the necessary antidote to years of neglecting ourselves, years of judging and treating ourselves harshly, years of rejecting this moment's experience. Radical acceptance is the willingness to experience ourselves and our life as it is. A moment of radical acceptance is a moment of genuine freedom. Wow. Yeah, that's powerful. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. And we also would like to say what acceptance is not along with these sort of definitions we've given as an introduction. It's important too to say what we don't mean by acceptance because there tend to be a lot of fears or misconceptions that come up around the idea of accepting an unpleasant reality. So acceptance does not necessarily mean approval or resignation to the circumstances at hand. A lot of people might think I can't accept this because that would mean that I'm okay with it. I'm putting my stamp of approval on it. Or if I accept it, that means I will in giving up that struggle, become complacent and won't do anything then to make my situation better. But the reality is that especially if you do want to change something, if the circumstances are not ideal for you, and if change is possible, you have to start by accepting how things truly do stand. Um, like in AA, where the first thing you're supposed to do really is acknowledge your own powerlessness against alcohol, or in any other context in which change is only truly going to be possible once you acknowledge that you're stuck in the first place because, of course, you can't find any effective solutions when you still haven't acknowledged that there exists a problem, or maybe you have, but you haven't quite allowed yourself to see the truth of what that problem really is. Um, and speaking of AA, they do have, there are a load of really excellent little sayings that I do like to borrow from that program, um, one of which, of course, we can't get away with not mentioning, I don't think, which is the serenity prayer, which did become popularized through the AA program, which is, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And, of course, God can be whatever you want it to be or um, Picking, picking and choosing a lot is allowed there. And I'm sure we will be talking about each of those three branches, that serenity to accept things, the courage to change things, and then the wisdom to be able to figure out the difference. We'll talk about all of that through this whole conversation. Uh, certainly the wisdom to know the difference is the, is the doozy, I would say. <laughs> yeah, that one can be tricky. Um, yeah, another thing that, that acceptance, well, I guess it's it's more of that the the idea that acceptance is only a tool to use for things that you like or things that are pleasant that's not going to be effective like it, it really it's not a circumstantial acceptance it's not like sometimes acceptance but most of the time it's the the idea of radical acceptance is that it's in all situations and so um it's not really something you can well you could it's just not that effective if you pick and choose where to um, embrace this idea. True radical acceptance means being able to apply it equally, fully, like when you wake up and it's May and it's cold and rainy. <laughs> I've been working on this a lot this week. As much as when it's a beautiful sunny day and you're, you know, or you're really excited about something. 
um, being able to, to bring that same energy of just like being aware of, of what is and accepting of, of what the reality is, whether you're like came down with a cold and feel miserable or like are really healthy and excited about your life. Um, one, as I was thinking about this, this week, uh, one example, really concrete example of radical acceptance or an opportunity to practice radical acceptance that we've all had in the last year and a half is the pandemic that, um, the reality of the situation and the changes that a global pandemic has made to all of our lives. You know, it's something that I think for me personally, I noticed at least like really forced me to, okay, I, I can't change this. This is, this really just is this, this is, you know, whether it was, um, just needing to, to isolate or changes to employment status, changes to, the way that we socialize and connect with people, there really was a, a and still is in a lot of ways, a um, situation of, I can't control this. This is happening around me. And what I can control is my reaction to it and my response to these external factors. Um, so I think it that the pandemic has been a really good opportunity <laughs> to practice radical acceptance and to practice... Um, yeah, those things that we can control and change. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's I think it's funny though what the human brain can do because with COVID, I would absolutely agree that that the fact that we cannot do anything about it for for me and I know for a lot of people and certainly not everyone, I'm sure, but that did make it somewhat easier to be forced into that position of okay, you just have to accept this. Um, and yet the weather, which we also cannot in any way control, somehow I personally have been having a much harder time getting to that place of, well, it's just what it is, Anna. You can't, you can't do anything about it. Somehow that's really been difficult for me on these cold, rainy May days as well. Um, but and going back to the point of not being able to pick and choose and it not being a circumstantial thing, I think it's also important to say that it doesn't necessarily make things pleasant to accept them. It just means you're not adding on these layers of suffering or judgment or some sort of story that ultimately ends up making that negative experience usually prolonged or more powerful. Um, but I do like to refer to the paradox of acceptance, which is where when you're able to make that transition into truly accepting something and stopping that struggle against the reality of it, very often at that point, things do start to become, if not more pleasant, at least certainly much easier. Um, and in some cases, the problem essentially goes away or is solved. Um, if there was an unpleasant emotion you were fighting against, for instance, or even in the case of health issues or insomnia, chronic pain, stuff like that. Genuine acceptance truly is often an incredibly powerful way to feel better and alleviate suffering and feel more joy, but it can't be the goal of radical acceptance. It's only something that is going to be a fortunate byproduct because if you end up making feeling better your goal, you're not going to be fully open to accepting reality as it actually is. <laughs> Um, which is a very sort of strange 
experience to have. It's kind of like stop trying, stop struggling and just let it be sound so simple, but is anything but usually, but when you are able to, and you let all of your effort suddenly fall away, then the magic of what you wanted in the first place does often happen. It's just that you cannot force it or it won't. Yeah. Yeah. That's nuanced. (laughs) (laughs) That, um, it, it reminds me of, uh, I often think about or ask myself, like if I'm gripping onto something Mm -hmm. and you know, it's sort of like that energy of like really, really wanting something or wanting to make something happen or like, yeah. And that, that sort of stop struggling, just let it be, um, that 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 like having a much more energetically like flowing or I don't know accepting of of what is uh it's a lot easier said than done (laughs) and I'm glad that you you brought up that it's not always pleasant um but that there is you know I think the the point of accept of radical acceptance is important to highlight that um just like you said it's it's not just to try to highlight the good or get rid of the bad it's really to just simply see things as they are and the point of that there's a buddhist saying that i really like um that is pain is inevitable suffering is not it's funny because i heard that saying like years ago and the only thing I remembered from it was that pain is inevitable. And I, I remember kind of re- like meditating on that, like journaling on that for years. Hmm. And I think it's just that I wasn't quite like my understanding of what suffering was in a Buddhist context, especially wasn't quite there yet. And then once I like relearned it and relearned the whole thing, I was like, oh, I get that now. <laughs> um, anyway, but yeah, so this idea that we're really not trying to get rid of the pain in life. We're not trying to bypass that. Um, it's, it's going to be there no matter what there's inevitable challenges and, and pain associated with just being human. Um, but if we can learn to accept reality instead of trying to deny it, we can actually prevent a lot of unnecessary suffering. So in a Buddhist context, suffering is what we do when we have a painful experience and then add a layer or two or three or many of judgment or resistance um, or stories or just that another layer on top of, of that kind of base experience of pain, which could be emotional pain, it could be physical pain, and it's uh, it can also be seen merely as a sensation which mm-hmm. which is its own sort of practice and and challenge um but one that i found to be really fruitful in um embracing buddhism as a a practice and, and sort of a, a view of life that um it can it really can alleviate a lot of of that unnecessary suffering yeah for sure um all of those layers you just have to think of an onion of layers of suffering where there might at its very core just be this one super simple unpleasant emotion that if not for all those layers might simply have come along and then passed out of frame 
just as quickly um, like a cloud, which is a visualization technique I do like to use for trying to create some distance from these layers, these thoughts and emotions when they come up, just seeing them coming into frame as a cloud in the sky and then dissipating. Um, but when we latch onto them and we start adding these layers, we say, oh, I just felt this thing or I just had this thought, what's that all about? Why am I feeling that? I shouldn't be feeling that. What does that say about who I am? We start coming up with this narrative and then we judge ourselves for having the narrative and then we come up with a story about that judgment and then <laughs> it just goes on and on from there. Before we know it, it's a mess of all these little moments of totally unnecessary suffering ultimately which are layered over this one simple moment of what would otherwise maybe be fleeting quite fleeting pain um, there's another saying that I like and I think of quite a lot in my own life what you resist persists so if you're trying in any way to not think or feel something that enters your consciousness that's pretty much a guarantee that it's going to make itself more known in your life. Uh, I think the most famous tests done in the clinical world around this were um, the white bear tests where they asked a bunch of people to not think of a white bear and basically, long story short, they thought of a white bear far more than the control participants, which was important in the world um, of anxiety treatment specifically because up to that point, a lot of the standard treatments for choice for these issues were basically um, thought suppression which to me is absolutely bonkers because as anyone who struggles with anxiety knows the advice to basically just stop thinking about it is maddening and um, it really does teach your brain on a super basic level when you ignore something or try to suppress it that ooh, this is important and dangerous so your brain is really just going to absorb that message and say I'd better pay attention to this thing and bring it up as much as possible um, so you know, what you resist persists. <laughs> I'd heard that. I hadn't heard the the tests with the white bear. I really am appreciating that. And it's funny, too, because I noticed I got an email recently. Um, like, I'm, I'm taking a very mini course, and I missed the first class. And, you know, so they send an email that has, like, a link to the the recording. And right in the, the subject line, it says please don't forward this like to anyone else, you know, cause it's a, it's a paid course. And immediately I was like, who could I forward this to? <laughs> like, I'm not going to obviously, but I noticed, yeah. I noticed that, that just by it's, it just that your example with the, the white bear study <laughs> made me think of, of that, you know, possibility. I think there is something, um, I don't remember what it's called, but there's, there's something in psychology where exactly what you're describing happens. <laughs> Um, the other thing that I've been contemplating a lot recently is that, you know, sometimes what we're resisting isn't always just the, the negative emotions, you know, or the, um, the feelings of fear or grief or anger, but can also be hard sometimes to have radical acceptance around positive things in our life. Um, sometimes there's, there's actually fear in there. This kind of blew my mind when I realized this, that sometimes we're actually afraid of getting what we want. <laughs> and there's, um, 
I've had to do some work around giving up sort of like an addiction to struggle that I realized I was over identifying with, with kind of being good at dealing with hard things and, um, having a lot of grit to like get through challenges. And I was, I was becoming too attached to my own ability to work through struggles and problem solve and like make the most of things or deal with hard things. And it had actually become part of my identity that was, um, I've now had to shift that as there's just the way that my life is right now, less hard things in it. So now actually accepting like that sometimes things could be easy, that's a, that, that it's like good for things to be pleasant and enjoyable um, and allowing myself to receive them is, has been a big shift. Um, and, you know, first I had to really believe that I deserve them. So going back to a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about self-worth, that's um, kind of a, a foundational value or belief that needed to be in place in order for me to practice receiving good things in my life and, um, you know, being look at being able to look at what is and accept it for, for all of it, including being good. <laughs> oh boy. Yes. I completely also identify with that struggle addiction, um, or, you know, with the, with the addiction to self-improvement or anything where, like you're saying, inherent in that is this feeling of my worth being built in some way or meaning being built in some way on the struggle itself. And it's been hard for me as well for that very reason to uh, fully accept, acknowledge, and allow the reality of a pleasant present moment to really sink into it and be just as fully with it and accepting as, as I can of a painful moment. Um, and actually I think that nice moments can present a source of pain for us as well. If we're covering them up immediately with some of those same layers of self judgment or fearful resistance that we're bringing to the more obviously negative ones, uh, in either case, I think, as I said before, it's often very helpful to just let these emotions be pure and simple as much as possible to try to remind ourselves to let a wave of sadness or a burst of anger be just that something clean and simple that comes and goes to let it be just this moment of sadness or just this moment of anger instead of following it up immediately with all these additional layers of judgment and likewise it can also be very helpful when there's a moment of joy or contentment to learn how to sit in that being fully present in just this moment of joy and contentment. It's nothing more than that for as long as it sticks around. Um, you know, and I think when we laugh, we're not clutching a laugh. It's this, it's the one thing, you know, where like you don't laugh, start laughing and then, Oh no, I can't let this go. It just happens for as long as it happens and it subsides. And it's this perfect, beautiful thing. And to learn to try to approach a lot of other emotions, positive and negative, like that I think can be very helpful yeah and you know this just brings in some other Buddhist principles around uh impermanence of mm. you know things coming up and then going away and then something else will come and go and that the present moment is always changing and that we're changing along with it um and yeah just kind of that focus of like 
I think, inherent in that question of what is. It's like, what is now? Like, mm-hmm. What is in this moment? There's a a song line that I really like that's been coming up for me a lot this week, so it's probably important in some way for me to remember. <laughs> but um, it's, I will not look back in anger or forward in fear, but around in awareness. Mm. And I think that kind of sums up where we're at right now in our conversation. And with that, we're talking today about radical acceptance. And we've gone through a little bit of what we mean when we say radical acceptance, what it's not, uh, why it can be important or impactful to embrace this. And um, I wanted to share a personal story with this and uh, experience that really taught me a lot about radical acceptance which, you know, was, again, just this, this uh, accepting of things as they are, um, and specifically as a factor in, in the grieving process. So my mother, Susan Woodworth, she um, spent a lot of her life in the Catskill Mountains in Delhi and then in Stamford after that. Um, and she passed away about five years ago of pancreatic cancer and... Um, through the process of her illness and and dying, she just taught me and like everyone else who was around her really about how how to radically accept circumstances that that we can't change and circumstances that were very challenging and unpleasant. Um, she was diagnosed in April and she lived for five months and within that time, you know there were certainly some Ups, there were a lot of ups and downs through that. Um, there were times of more hope and times of more sort of resignation, but ultimately it was it was clear early on that it was a terminal diagnosis, and she was able to accept that and like make the most of the time that she had left and really spend her her last weeks and days connecting with family and loved ones, um, doing the things that she loved and, and like sharing with all of us through the process. So she kept a blog during this time of her life and she really welcomed us and all the people that she knew and loved into her experience. And so of course, everyone has a different experience with cancer and with terminal illness, um, in their lives or in their, their communities. But in her case, um, it was just clear that that it wasn't going to be about like beating cancer or like working harder to feel hopeful it was it was that she was dying and she really took that for what it was um you know had really amazing doctors and got the care that she the best care that she could to to be as comfortable as she could through a very painful um process but she really modeled having this radical acceptance for a heartbreaking and horrendous situation to die at the age of 60. Um, and that in the way that she did that, she not only sort of modeled and taught the rest of us what was possible, but she also accessed this, this depth of like beauty and truth and wisdom that, um, I'm deeply, deeply grateful for. Um, and one of her last requests was to have her writing from the end of her life published, which is a project that I just finished this spring. Um, I wrote a book called A Journey of Light that 
weaves together her experiences, her writing from the end of her life, and then my own writing um, about that time period. And um, if you're interested in learning more about my family's journey with with this part of radical acceptance and grief, um, you can learn more at my website, which is chelseafrisbee.com. Um, but that I'm just truly grateful for for having had that experience, like that very lived experience of someone obviously who I loved um, and still love as much as my mom and then getting to see really what was possible by embracing the reality of what was. Yeah. And that book, um, a journey of light that you just published is absolutely gorgeous. And having grown up with you guys reading through that was super powerful and impactful for me as well. I, I, it brought up a lot of memories of your mom, very vivid memories of the exact thing that you're describing that she, um, revealed and really was able to share through the process of, um, leading up to her death was the same way she was, you know, growing up just this exuberant truth about her, this like very big and very real, uh, personality and, yeah, it's really, it really is gorgeous and very, very appropriate to the topic at hand. Um, and yeah, my personally in my life, as far as grief goes, um, the, the experience that probably taught me firsthand more than anything else thus far is, uh, the death of my sister a few years ago to suicide. And as you're, you know, as you're describing with your mother, really relinquishing or, or doing her best to relinquish that really powerful compulsion for control of the circumstances, um, the antidote to that being acceptance in the situation, in a situation, for instance, uh, like with my sister, where someone takes their own life, it's so common in the aftermath of that. I think it's pretty universal, even for those around someone who loved them um, to think that they could have done something to prevent it. And the reality is that in a case like that, that may have been possible, actually. Um, we don't know. But the point is that that isn't what happened. And yet we all have those thoughts, those experiences, which really serve on a deep psychological level to keep some level of horror at bay to be perfectly frank because it's really it's somehow even though it's super painful easier in a sense to blame ourselves or wonder what we could have done differently because that reaffirms the position of um, a possibility of control rather than to have to contend with the reality of our own powerlessness to reverse time or create an alternate reality um, and you know in situations like that in the aftermath of something like that or um, with your mother going through that process and being so open and honest about her experiences, I, for one, can say that I have always gravitated toward people who are able to do that and talk about difficult topics of life directly rather than um, skirting around them in some capacity where someone can say, just here's this awful thing or this weird, scary thing, whatever it is. And, and I can personally in the face of that breathe a sigh of relief and kind of let go of this dance of this mutual polite denial of reality um 
which a lot of it ends up being driven by this desire to not make other people uncomfortable. But I honestly think, at least for me personally, that that, that tends to backfire. And I really, I really appreciate um, people who are able to be open and honest about the reality at hand and able to radically accept that as a starting point for connection between themselves as well. Yeah, I think that ability to be real and it does it. It allows for authentic connection, which I think is what a lot of us crave, <laughs> you know. Um, and it, it's not always possible, you know, it's not always the right situation or the right the people. But I think that there's there's something to calling in more of that for ourselves and, mm. and for our lives. And um Yeah. We can have a, a whole nother section on control <laughs> and grief. Oh yeah. We're We've just got plenty finding, of material. We're <laughs> just mining for material right here. This is great. Um yeah, I think that there's there's a social script that we have been handed that about what we're supposed to acknowledge freely and what we're supposed to suppress. And we also then have our own personal narratives that often do the same thing. Um, we have those, those stories that we can very easily fall into. It's like stories about who we are and who other people are and like how our lives are supposed to go. And um, it can be very, very useful to just pause and take a, a breath sometimes and stop and differentiate or be curious about or start to notice like what's going on in my head versus what my perceived reality is uh, or what's going on in my head and what my perceived reality is and then what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. um, for me, one of the, the things that allows me to have this sort of awareness and something that I actively cultivate um, is trying to to be able to differentiate or like have the awareness of, of what's coming up and what's real versus what's my own story are very consistent practices of meditation and journaling. Um, another practice that really helps me with building awareness to be able to be in radical acceptance is spending uh, a lot of intentional time outside in nature it's sort of like this reset button where I get out of my own head I notice more things around me I'm sort of in the energy of the trees and the water and the fields and it's um suddenly all of the stories or all the like loops that I get caught in in my head are much less important when you're like in a field of dandelions or you know the geese fly overhead or um you notice like snails chewing around you there's just a lot of opportunities for beauty and connection when we can have a break really from from some of what we get caught in um the other thing that we were talking about the other day is the just really the importance of of talking of like having conversations like this of bouncing things off of a support network of people that we trust, whether they're friends or family or coworkers, but it really helps us. Um, it can help to see where we might be getting caught up in our own narrative and maybe not seeing the full reality of a certain situation. Um, 
the, I was, when we were talking about this the other day, I was like, I have so many girlfriends who I talk about stuff all the time with and like groups that I'm a part of. And, you know, I see my sister-in-law and we immediately just like start processing our emotions and like what's, what's happening around us. And I've noticed, you know, throughout my life that, that I'm often surrounded by men who don't seem to have that same social um, conditioning or like permission maybe to have have that like mirroring in other friendships or relationships and I think that it's just something that's really important for everyone to have is that ability to um yeah sort of see like be able to work through what a complete version of reality is beyond just our own subjective um loops that we can get Mm. caught of caught in yeah, absolutely. The more um, the more different perspectives we're able to take in at once uh, around the same circumstances, the better we're going to be able to come up with kind of a a meta reality that we're that encompasses all of that, um, and through that process, shake up our own narratives a little bit if we're getting stuck in that rut. And it really is sometimes uh even scary to me how we're all so often channeled into these really restricted choices in life because we have not been able to zoom out like that um because we're stuck in these stories we've we've created for ourselves without even realizing how much of that narrative line is completely untethered from any objective reality just feels naturally like how things are um unless we were able to check it somehow uh and one tool that i also really like to use as well as bouncing things off of other people like that is um is simply prompting myself with the line when i'm feeling something a strong emotion in a certain situation and i'm coming up with um some immediate idea of what it means. I like to try to catch myself and say, okay, I just experienced this, this happened. I experienced this feeling or thought. And then the line is, and the story I'm telling myself about that is, and then I fill in the blanks and that's usually very illuminating. Um, For example, if let's say in a romantic relationship, a partner forgets something that's important to you, your story might go, my, the story I'm telling myself about this is that you don't care about me and uh, basically you don't care about me. <laughs> um, but by being able to shift and simply acknowledge that that's the story that you're telling yourself, it automatically opens up this space, this possibility to more clearly see the reality of the situation, which is that regardless of their feelings or intentions, the thing you do know is that you had a strong emotional response to that that made you feel neglected so you can then radically accept that as the reality of the situation and shift the problem solving from make this person feel bad about being an uncaring jerk to acknowledge the reality that I'm not feeling valued right now and figure out how to what to do about that um, hopefully together this tool is also often used in meditation practices a similar tool where we're just asked to simply step back from our thoughts a little bit, create some distance and um, labeling them can be a really effective way of doing that. 
where maybe you have a certain set of uh, themes that you tend to gravitate toward in your thoughts. And you might say, oh, look, there's one of those going over the past thoughts or oh, there's one of those worrying about the future thoughts or one of those I'm not good enough thoughts or whatever it might be. Um, or even during a meditation when you notice yourself getting sucked into um, thinking at all, you can simply label that as thinking, thinking and pull yourself back to your breath. That's a very common regrounding, recentering technique to allow you to radically accept what's going on um, in the actual present moment. Yeah, and also learning how to not overattach to those thoughts. This lets us see, um, you know, that, that we're all human. We all have these, like, thoughts and feelings that come and go, sometimes are more challenging than others. Um, and often that, like, what we're resist when we're resisting something in ourselves, we are often judging that characteristics in others. Or I think I usually see this the other way around when I notice like that someone else is really annoying me. It's usually that they're reminding me mm -hmm. of something about myself that I don't want to be reminded about. Oh yeah. Um, but it goes the other way as well. But one thing that that's been, been so helpful for me, especially when I am in like groups of, um, I participate just in a lot of different groups of women and getting to, to see, a lot, some of my own struggles show up in other people, um, or just hear like, Oh yeah, that thing I'm struggling with. It's not just me. It's not just me that like attaches to a certain emotion or that has a hard time, whatever with like physical pain. It's like, Oh, this is part of, this is just part of, um, struggles that we all face as humans. And that, uh, that somehow, makes it easier for me to like radically accept myself and who I am in all of my imperfections. Um, and yeah, just appreciate, uh, some of where we are. Another, um, just useful sort of tool that I use very often and I support a lot of my clients in using this, um, is to get into the body. So, we could, like a lot of the struggle happens in my head or in, in our heads and, um, mindfulness centered on the body can be a really effective way to at least break some of those cycles and to, to bring us into a different level of awareness and acceptance. So there's a quote from the Buddha, um, that is in, uh, Tara Brock's radical acceptance book that I wanted to share here, which is that there is one thing that when cultivated and regularly practiced leads to deep spiritual intention, to peace, to mindfulness and clear comprehension, to vision and knowledge, to a happy life here and now, and to the culmination of wisdom and awakening. And what is that one thing? It is mindfulness centered on the body. So all those things, I think, I know I want peace, <laughs> clear clarity, vision, happiness, um, so right here, the Buddha is, is giving us the answer, which is mindfulness centered on the body. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thousands of years of Buddhism. <laughs> Easy peasy. Um, yeah, that is an excellent reminder. Our bodies are very much a part of this. And um, as you also said, 
we are all very much a part of this and we all are experiencing um, these difficult things that we are we are as a species sort of grappling with together and I, th I do think it's helpful to also think about what might be the hardest for us at any particular moment in time um, getting back to the idea of what you resist persists there was uh, I heard recently a therapist asks his clients very often um, his, his favorite question to ask them at some point early on is if you could get rid of any emotion if you could take a pill and never have to feel any particular feeling again what would that be um, and the point of that question is that inevitably it points to the thing that you're trying the hardest to suppress or deny or say this isn't a part of me this can't be a part of me and the thing therefore that is most likely going to be causing you the most pain and bubbling up um, throughout your life and that for me reflecting on that was definitely a very powerful and, and somewhat terrifying <laughs> thought um, but so that's one that is one uh, tool that I recently heard of that can be really helpful getting at that that root um, another couple things that come to mind are um, there are of course broad therapeutic interventions uh, such as ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, which um, is like, it's, like it sounds. You accept, radically accept the reality of the situation, including unpleasant emotions that you're experiencing, uh, and you commit yourself to living a life that is dictated by your values and not how you feel at any given point necessarily, because if we're waiting to feel a certain way before we take steps toward our values, that, of course, can be very restrictive and... Um, and then there's dialectical behavioral therapy, which I mentioned before. And then there are also just a bunch of really practical tools, these borrowed from the Buddhist tradition, from meditation, things like that. Um, or for me, just simple mantras, uh, like, you know, um, labeling my thoughts, or for instance, if I'm having a little temper tantrum against something, if it's cold and I don't want it to be cold and I just want it to be summer and I just want it to be summer and I keep going around in my head with that, I just can repeat to myself whatever it is. Okay, but but it's not. And then I come up with some other protest. Okay, but it's not. Okay, but it's okay, but it's not until finally, um, <laughs> hopefully I come around to it eventually. Um, I also just would like, lastly, to mention that acceptance as we mentioned before, it's not necessarily going to feel good. It's just not, it's going to prevent you hopefully from adding on layers of suffering and judgment, but it's also not always the best or only tool to use. Um, so far in our first three shows, we've talked about each topic under the same headings as we've used today. What is it? A definition. What are some problems that are associated with it? Um, We've also asked the question, where does it come from, as with perfectionism or something like that that we've discussed previously. But in this case, with the difficulty in radically accepting our reality, it is not something unique to anyone because of a particular background or um, childhood or anything of the sort. It's something that universally we struggle with. Um, because it's not a natural thing. It's actually contrary to our biological wiring to some degree. 
it is wired into us to deny reality at times and to not see and accept things as they truly are. It can be a really, really beneficial and even necessary survival mechanism in certain circumstances. And I do think it's important to point that out because sometimes some self-delusion can genuinely be um, a useful and even beautiful thing. And, uh, and, you know, these narratives we come up with can be both um, restrictive and problematic and really, really gorgeous in the stuff that makes our history. Yeah, and I think having um, not falling into judgment around around exactly what you just said there at the end, that sometimes we need to be shielded from reality, at least temporarily, mm-hmm. and and not going back and looking at the times in our life when, when we were in delusion and, or when we weren't able to fully accept uh, reality, that it's not helpful to bring judgment into those that that lens and that really what is helpful is uh radical compassion which i think is the name of tara brock's other book (laughs) that was our conversation about radical acceptance thank you so much for tuning into the stream a weekly podcast from myself chelsea frisbee and my co-host anna janiszewski